What's interesting to me in what God does is how he fulfills his promise of going above and beyond. (laughs) And he'll do that in the smallest ways that you don't expect. Like first he provided a, a person who donated money specific for us to buy a truck and ship it over there, right? And in that, I'm, I'm looking for the best truck possible. You know, it had to meet certain benchmarks of things that were required because it has to be able to go over there anywhere during the rainy season, especially on the, on the ranch. So there were certain things that were required, and i got to tell you, I didn't expect it to be nice looking. I really didn't. You, you all, those who came in uh, after me, um, saw it sitting out in the uh, in the driveway. You'll be able to see it when you go out. This is a beautiful truck. Really, really nice truck. God just went above and beyond to give them something that they didn't even have to have in terms of a nice truck, but he wanted them to have. See, that's what God does. I just think that's the coolest thing in the world. Because it wasn't about a need. I mean, they could have had a truck all scratched up, banged up, as long as it worked right and had the right functions, right? But no, he wanted them to have something nice. He doesn't always do that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that he goes above and beyond our expectations, right? Now, another thing we're going to do, and I'll get another picture of it when it's done before we ship it, but it's got to be wrapped. It's going to have the, the love shield, a uh, big love shield on the hood. Uh, I haven't decided yet, yet if it'll be a big love shield on the sides or if it'll be the, the combination logo yet. I don't know yet. But, but anyways, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out, and we'll get another picture of it before we ship it. Um, but I just had to show that to you. It, it was... Uh, it was just really cool, really cool what, what he has done. So continue to pray about that, that, that the Lord will provide good deals on the things that we need to add to it and what we need to do with it. So he will, he will certainly do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you, God. We praise you for who you are. Father, as we spent time in worship and focusing on you and our relationship with you, Lord, flood your presence in this place as we receive your word. Fill my mouth with your words, none of my own. I give full permission to your Holy Spirit to speak through my mouth all that he would desire to speak, because he speaks only of what you want, Father. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. I thank you for each person here. I thank you for the team that we have assembled in Nigeria. I thank you that that Andrew can be with them. It's exciting. That, that warms my heart. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this family. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And the Lord says, 
Don't be discouraged by small beginnings. For I changed the world and the course of the world through just eight. I began my bride with only 120. Don't be discouraged by numbers because it only takes one. Because through the course of that one, he has changed everybody's life. And that's Jesus Christ, who by choice became a man. As the Son of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself literally inserted himself into his own creation. Because it required a man. It required a man that would live a sinless, perfect life. Because we're all born into sin, that could only be God. So you see, he changed the world through one. When you look through the word of God, things are changed with small groups of people. Satan will try and discourage you from that. And I'm not just speaking to this group here because I know this group knows this. I'm speaking to remnant people who are hearing this online. Or who will hear this online. Don't be discouraged. By what you see as progress. Because the real progress. Is in your relationship with the Lord. That's the only thing that matters. The only thing. So today we are going to read a transcript. We are back in We were back in the Court of Nations on Thursday, which was the day after I got back. That was really interesting. <laughs> I remember going into the ready room afterwards and it was about three in the morning or four in the morning for me at that point. And I remember thinking, wow, I cannot concentrate. <laughs> But when I read this, I think you're going to get excited for what God is doing. And well, maybe I'll make some comments afterwards. I'm, I'm not going to make them right now. But understand what he is doing. Understand that what he is doing is getting rid of the barriers that have authority in a general sense. Okay, when we're reading about these spirits that have authority in this country and, we take, and they are being taken to court, first of all, that's not some random process. That's also not a process anybody can do. I won't even go there because 
if we get too many emails about it. But understand, this is something directed and driven by God to bring the very essence of that spirit not having influence in this country. Doesn't mean that it does not have authority individually. That's an important thing to understand the difference of. You might get a sense of that as as we read into this. But this one was... The spirit of sexual immorality. And I remember the original thought process was we wanted to go to court before I went left for Nigeria. And the Lord said, you could definitely do that. I mean, it's his desire to do it all. Boom. Right away. He's been waiting a lot longer than we have. But he said, he said first of all, you all need to be there. And, and we, we were able to work that out. But then as we got closer to that, I just kept feeling like there was something more that he wanted for this one. Because this is one that, it it seems like everyone that we have dealt with so far has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, I don't know, I, I can't imagine one bigger in influence than what this one is. Because it literally permeates every part of this society, every part of the world. And even America and how it has influence over the world. The power of this spirit in America has literally infiltrated the world because of it. So as we go into this and as I read this transcript, understand the magnitude of what this spirit had in terms of influence over this, this country. As before, I will simply read the transcript as it is stated, and this is word for word of how things went in the court of nations last Thursday evening. Father, We ask entrance into your court of nations in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Then Shannon responded with what she sees. I see the metal doors and they are opening. We are entering and there are drums playing. I said, Father, if it pleased the court, we would like to worship to a very special song to me. You know it is just between Jesus and I. I ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. The father then answered, yes. I played the song Closer Than You Know, which holds very special meaning between Jesus and I. When that song was completed, I said, Father, I felt an overwhelming desire and request from you that you want me to play and worship to this other song as well. I haven't played it in a long time, but do you want me to play this other song here in this court? I ask this in Jesus' name. The Father's answer was yes. Then I played the song, Holy Ground, and we worshiped to that song. For those of you People here probably know that, or I've at least shared before the significance of that song. Because it was during 
that song that the Father had taken me, as Paul said, whether it was in the physical or not, I cannot say, because it felt like it was in the, it felt as real as what I am before you right now, but he took me to the ready room for the first time. I didn't know what the ready room was, because it wasn't until some, I mean, quite a few months later, I think, that that we then went into it, and, and I recognized what it was, but but that was why this song was special. Then when the song was done, I said, Father, we love you. Father, that first song was special between Jesus and I. That second one was you and I. I thank you. Thank you for what that represents, what it means. And I probably don't even know a fraction of it. But I do know that it, it accompanied the first time I was ever in your ready room. And I didn't know what it was. But I was taken there physically. We offer our worship to you. We offer our praise to you. We are undone in your presence. We are humbled by your love. For the record, Shannon, can you describe what you saw during the first and second song? Shannon then said, During the first song, I saw in front of the throne, I, I saw in front of the throne there is a scale, very large. It's much taller than a man and much taller than a door. It's like a great sculpture, and usually it's off balance and made of metal. It is crafted. When the first song began, what appeared on the heavier side of the scale was this black rock, like obsidian, monstrous and dark. And I saw blood pour on the other side of the scale and bring the weight down until it was balanced. And then the blood just poured over at the other side and a pool formed at the bottom. A pool that would be large enough to accommodate 20 or so people. And even a depression in the metal formed. In the metal of the ground. And I saw people come. First, there was only one and he had a flag of the United States of America. And he began to wash the flag in the blood. As the music continued, he pushed and pulled and pushed and pulled until the blood saturated the flag. When another man came and he also had a flag and he sat down next to the man who had the American flag and together they pushed and they pulled, saturating their flags. I saw what the other flag looked like. It was stars and a circle on the right hand of it with an eagle in the center, and then green and white. And they kept washing the flags in the blood. Then I saw the Father, and he blew into the air, and snowflakes began to fall in the courtroom. And then he roared, and by the might of his roar, the snowflakes turned to gold. And when they fell on the ground floor, on, I'm sorry, and when they fell on the gold floor, the floor absorbed them. Then I heard and felt a wind go from the center of the throne through the entire courtroom, like a tornado was barreling through there. And it was all coming from the throne. And I heard the Father roar. And the winds kept blowing and blowing, consuming everything in the courtroom. And it was a long time like this. Just sound and wind. 
Then I heard the balconies, and I heard them chant, Yeshua, Yeshua. It was slower. Then I heard the drums began to beat, and the last thing I heard was the drip, drip of the blood of the scale falling into the pool. Then all of these visions disappeared, and we are in the courtroom, as I have always seen it. Then I asked if that was during the two songs, or do you remember a separation between the two? Or did it all just flow together? She responded, it kind of flowed together. I said, Father, we worship you and praise you, Lord. And Father, we are here to call forward in the court of nations in regards to the nation of the United States, the spirit of sexual immorality. But before I do that, Father, I would first like to have closure on the last court case and ask the status of the spirit of infirmity and the status of Satan, both of whom never came back from that recess. I ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. The father responded, Satan has fled. He has fled to what darkness is left for him to hide in. The spirit in question has been cast and has been held accountable. Father, I ask that the evidence presented in the last court case was not only held to account by the spirit of infirmity, but also held to Satan's account as well. I ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. The father said, yes. I said, if it please the court, we request to move forward with this case against the spirit of sexual immorality specifically in the United States and over the territory that was once led by Abaddon. I ask in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Shannon said, I see a spirit appear. It's as large as a building. It looks like many naked bodies fused together with no eyes. I asked, Does it have representation? Shannon said, I see no one. My response was, I didn't think so. Shannon said, its skin is ashen, tinted with a blue-gray color. I then said, Father, if it please the court, I ask that all doors and windows be sealed and warring angels be placed in protection of anything that would try to infiltrate in or this spirit that would try to get out. I ask in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. The father then responded, let the court be sealed. I then said, I release Michael and Phineal to be at the ready to subdue this spirit in confirmation of the will of this court in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. If it please the court, I would like to begin with an opening statement. And we will begin by reading Habakkuk. I ask in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. The father responded, yes, proceed. I will read from the word of God in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 20. 
How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't even believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the, while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? <clears throat> Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets? while they rejoice and celebrate. Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets, so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. 
They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed up many peoples. But soon, their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly, your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all that you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you. And the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of Heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder through the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation. A God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Then I spoke, and, and I want you to get this next part. I didn't say that in the court. I'm telling you now. I want you to understand this next part. Father, I decree, let it be declared that these words are ringing true today. The words of Habakkuk in the nation of the United States. 
Those who have in their greed gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples will now be taunted by their captives. Those unrighteous leaders who see their strength as their God will fall. And a new leadership will arise. A leadership that will live by their faithfulness to God, which is you, Father. This transition that was prophesied for Israel, your chosen nation, as prophesied by Habakkuk, will first come true for your bride, your church. This is to produce a point of jealousy from your chosen nation to whom this was originally intended and will still come to pass. I ask that these declarations be accepted by the court as statements of your will. Father, and that they be moved on without delay. I submit this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. The Father then said, I accept them. And I said, if it please the court, if there is no opening statement of the defense, then I would like to lay the first point of our case against the spirit of sexual immorality. I ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Then the father said to the defense, have you a statement? Then this spirit of sexual immorality spoke. He said, the lust in the heart is a showing of the heart. Is not the heart full of wickedness through and through? Out of the hearts of man come all kinds of wickedness and evil. Where are your shields? Where are your breastplates of righteousness? Take up your arms and defend yourselves, for it is the nature of man to indulge in these things. We will see if many have stood. After a moment, I responded. I said, Father, with your permission, I will continue with my first point. I submit this in Jesus' name. Father then said, Proceed. In quick rebuttal to the Spirit's opening statement, I would like to say that the prosecution will lay, will lay out how the defenseless has been taken advantage of, and not just those who have made their own choices. I submit this in Jesus' name. Father, this Spirit has many tentacles. I will list a few, but submit that it is not even close to a complete picture of who this Spirit is. I further submit that our desire is that every aspect of this spirit as a whole be placed on trial right now and not just the parts that we discuss specifically. There is no greater destruction to the body than sexual sin. Your word clearly says clearly that no other sin affects the body as much as sexual immorality because it is a sin against your own body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
This spirit has used sexual immorality as a way to control and have power over the innocent. Sexual molestation, in addition to ungodly intercourse, whether through rape or promiscuity, gives a major authority for additional demons to flood into a person, whether they want it or not. Satan has started as early as the infancy of a human to come against them in this way to gain authorities and to keep them bound. And Father, without revealing names, I submit court cases that we have had in the court of accusations that have shown this very thing, where children were sexually assaulted and raped, and it affected them throughout their lives. This spirit combines the captivity of the victims and the shame attached to it with the addiction of the endorphins released in the bodies and minds of the perpetrators of these crimes. Many people want to stop afflicting someone sexually, but they are completely captive to the release of the euphoric high in their bodies from the thrill of this sin. It creates a vicious cycle, which has started back in slavery, even in Bible times, and has gone to levels that might have different names, but are the same today in human trafficking. And pedophilia. It combines sexuality with lust of money, power, and dominance. Everything domineering is satanic. God only gave free will and choice and never overpowers our choice. But Satan, through this spirit, always seeks to devour, demolish, and destroy, especially the innocent those who have had their choice taken from them. Matthew chapter 18, verse 5 and 6 says, And anyone who welcomes a little child like this one on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be dropped into the depths of the sea. Satan, through this spirit, has systematically attacked the family, and more specifically the husband-wife relationship, which is the center of the family. This relationship was to mirror what our relationship is to look like with Jesus. But Satan's attacks through this spirit have distorted that in this country. From this distortion you have the acceptance of gay marriage as a right in America. In addition to this, we have become complacent in other assaults on the family, like transvestites and and gender neutrality. You put forth your perfect plan in Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. It says this, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Satan, through this spirit, has been trying to separate them ever since. You established that relationship as holy. All of these examples of who this spirit is go against the very fabric of your will, Father. Your word says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 17, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Satan, through this spirit of immorality, has gained influence nationally and globally to rip your children away from relationship with you. This spirit's influence has allowed a prostitute be in relationship with your bride instead of being one spirit with you. Father, I further submit the pervasiveness of the pornography problem where Satan has taken the temptation through the eyes, through the ears, through other senses, and has developed habit in both men and women to live by their lusts of fantasy instead of seeking real relationship in what you intended. Father, this spirit uses these pornographic images everywhere, even as simple as selling a cheeseburger. The influence of this spirit has created perhaps the largest pornographic problem that this world has ever seen because of the institution and availability of the Internet. Children have access and develop problem at very, developed problems at very young ages, giving in to this authority, not knowing what they are even playing with. For they are playing with fire. I further submit that it is glorification of all things sexual by Hollywood, pop music, the gaming world, and printed material, amongst many others. Literally, sexual manipulation is used to control every single aspect of our human society today. There is now even gender confusion in the very young. I submit children, even as young as the sixth grade and younger, that are caught having sex in closets at school, brag about open lesbian and gay relationships with other students, etc. This is absolutely tragic in a country that touts to be one nation under God. This particular spirit is taken into darkness almost every leader 
from kings in the Old Testament to Samson to American presidents. In fact, this is what Jeffrey Epstein was famous for, filming world leaders in sexual acts to gain control over them. Sex trafficking in the United States is a form of human trafficking which involves reproductive slavery or commercial sexual exploitation as it occurs in the United States. Sex trafficking includes the transportation of persons by means of coercion, deception, and or force into exploitative and slavery-like conditions and is most commonly associated with organized crime. It has been estimated that two-thirds of trafficking victims in the United States are U.S. citizens. Most victims who are foreign-born came into the United States legally on various visas. The State Department estimated that between 15,000 and 50,000 women and girls are trafficked each year into the United States. This form of slavery here in the U.S. is perpetrated by Satan through the influence of this spirit. Finally, this spirit has influenced this nation in a way that made sexuality become the destructive counterfeit of real, holy love and relationship. This is perhaps the most destructive aspect of this spirit because it blinds the eyes of its victims to what true relationship with Jesus Christ is supposed to be. Forgive your bride for all of this. All of these ways that we have given access and authority to this spirit, I ask forgiveness for this nation, but especially for your bride. I submit this evidence of who this spirit is and how it is attached to Satan himself in the name of Jesus and by the power of his blood. And the father responded, has the defense any response? Then the spirit spoke and said, you speak of innocence, but have not all fallen short of the glory of God and all? are deserving of death. Children are not born having received the blood. They are under the law, and the law kills. I submit to this court that it is under this jurisdiction that I have the right over them. The defense rests. After a pause, I spoke, and I said, Father, if I may offer a rebuttal. He said, yes. Father, I submit that to deserve death is true, is truth. However, it does not mean that this spirit has the right to bring that death. Your created beings were purchased on a cross, and we have the choice to choose or not. But it comes after a point of understanding. You've said in your word that when we come to this point of understanding, then we are held accountable. The innocent that I speak of are those who are deceived and have taken, have been taken before that point of which this spirit is to be held accountable for. And again, I further submit that we are not talking about personal authority for those who have chosen and given authority to this spirit. That is a different court and that is a different subject 
And that is a different spirit. For what we discuss today and what is on trial today is the influence over a nation. The corporate influence over states, local governments, any commercial influence outside of the individual. That is where the authority of this spirit lies, and this is what is on trial today. So the argument, Father, I submit of personal choice, and that we all deserve death, is not applicable here, because we are not talking about individuals. We are talking about overall influence. I submit this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Then the Father said, To the spirit, do you have a response? And the spirit said, It says in your word, O judge, that a man cannot enter a house and take that house without first overcoming the man who lives in the house. How will you remove the men in my house? The ones who run the industries, the ones who stand in the pulpit and agree with me, How will you remove the officials, the ones in high places of government, the ones who are advisors to those in power? How will you remove these men in my house? The defense rests. I then asked for a reply. I said, Father, in reply, I remind this spirit of my opening statement in Habakkuk. And this is speaking of the very men that he is speaking of. Habakkuk says, But soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all that you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses and money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders... You committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your own lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. Then I spoke further and said, I could go on, but Father, I submit it is the very thing that you've promised your readied bride. That you will take the spoils that have been taken from them for literally millennia. And those spoils will go to your bride. These men that he speaks of, these positions of power, both men and women will lose their position. They will lose their influence because their sin will be revealed. Father, I ask for their hearts to be turned, for they are redeemable like any other child that Jesus died for. But not at the cost of your bride. They will lose their position, and those positions will be filled by those who have relationship with you. Father, I submit this in Jesus' name. 
Then the Father spoke, speaking to the Spirit. The Testament of Habakkuk condemns you and prophesies against you. In its words, it it foretells of your demise. Are there words that prophesy your survival? Are there words in the scripture that prophesy your ascent or your victory? Show this court where they are. As you can imagine, there was silence. Awkward silence for quite a while. Then I spoke. Father, if it pleased the court and the defense has no response, then I submit that we can assume he is in agreement with your statement. And I request to move on to my second point. I ask this in Jesus' name. Father again spoke to the Spirit and he said, Speak if you have any words in your defense. And after a bit of silence, the Father then said, I will have the prosecution move on. Then I said, Father, as an addendum to that first section, I would like to clearly state that every piece of who this spirit is has been directed by the hand of Satan himself. I also submit that Satan had his choice to be here, knowing full well, as what happened in the first three cases, that he would be attached to these spirits. Therefore, he had his own choice to be here to defend himself, but he is chosen not to be as the coward that he is. So I submit in Jesus' name that his name be equally attached to everything that was said regarding this spirit of sexual immorality in this first point. I submit this in Jesus' name. Then Shannon spoke and said, I heard a gong and the defense is asking for a recess and the Father has granted it. Um, I'll read it. The, we just talked about a couple things uh, during the recess, but one thing that Shannon noticed for the first time, she said, this is the first time in the court that we are all wearing helmet gear. Prior to that, we had not been wearing helmet gear in our, in our uh, uh, armor. She said she is seeing more detail in the armor that she, than she has seen before. In every court, there has been robes as our attire, but not this court specifically. She also made the comment that there doesn't seem to be the witchcraft in this one that there had been in previous ones. And then the drums came, and we, we were called back from the recess. Father said, let the record show that the defense has made use of one recess. We will continue but first, we will seal the doors once more. Son, please continue. Now, i gotta, I got to tell you, I was really surprised. I did not expect this spirit to come back <laughs> like the last time, but he did. I said, thank you, Father. I submit the second part of our evidence, which is the entrance of the spirit of sexual immorality into America. Certainly the personal sexual immorality of certain forefathers of our nation is evidence that can be presented, but much of it can only be known in history. There are a few things, though, that have been proven out that we can submit. The first one is Benjamin Franklin, who has come up in this court before. 
In a column that he wrote in 1745 titled, Advice on the Choice of a Mistress, end quote, Franklin advised bachelors to seek out older women. And Father, as I go through some of this evidence, please forgive me for the crassness of some of this evidence. I submit this in Jesus' name. Franklin said, they hazard no children, he wrote, and are so grateful for a young man's attention. Blank, 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 blank. I'm not going to read the rest. The next was Thomas Jefferson. Reportedly had several children with one of his owned slaves, Sally Hemings. Jefferson was 30 years her senior. Jefferson was in a position of power over his slave and used that to get what he wanted. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love wants not for itself. True love is not greedy or needy, but is selfless and fearless. 1 John 4.18 When the holiness of sexual activity is initiated because of a selfish need from lust of power and greed and self-gratification, it is then distorted at the deepest level. Paul warned strongly multiple times to stay away from sexual sin. The position that Thomas Jefferson was in over his slave Sally Hemings was this place of control. Sexual sin has been prevalent in other top leaders in America. I submit the promiscuity of John Kennedy, known for his many mistresses. He was open about it, and it was accepted by the public. Certainly, this spirit affected many individuals in places of power in the United States. It gained levels of access and authority through each one of these prominent people. I submit in Jesus' name that each person placed in a position of power that gave authority to this spirit in their personal lives, this spirit then used that position to gain further authority over the influence of this nation. The influence of this spirit became widely accepted as quote-unquote, normal, through the work of Sigmund Freud. The following examples are offered as what Freud made normal in the human American psyche. Number one, sexuality is everyone's weakness and strength. Sex is a prime motivator and common denominator for all of us. Freud believed that all of what we are, dri- what we are is driven by our own Outlook sexually, our sexual appetite, drives us instead of having choice over our sexuality. This is, of course, opposite of your word, Father. Number two, every part of the body is erotic. Freud pushed the idea that the human beings were sexual beings in their baseline and from the beginning of their lives. I'm not going to read the rest of that considering people we have in here. Again, this thought process made it acceptable that we are driven by our sexual impulses and unable to defend against it. That we should simply give in to who we are. This idea gave excuse to the debased thought process of this spirit of sexual immorality to be acceptable as out of our bounds of control. And that our sexual impulses define who we are. I submit this is absolutely wrong and incorrect. 
The carnal motives of our sexuality was never intended to replace who we are as a beautiful and holy creation of God. This spirit has used erotic temptations as an excuse of our sexual sin before God and a way for us not to feel the weight of that sin. Number number three from Freud. Homosexuality is not a mental illness. He noted that gay people are often distinguished by especially high intellectual development and ethical culture. In 1930, he signed a public statement to repeal a law that criminalized homosexuality. And in his famous letter to a mother wishing to cure her son of homosexuality, Freud wrote that homosexuality is assuredly no advantage, but it is nothing to be ashamed of. No vice, no degradation. It cannot be classified as an illness. This was in 1935. In this, in this statement, the first effective assault on the family on a national level had begun. Satan, directing this spirit, would begin going after the family as structured by God and begin to tear it apart. Homosexuality, as stated through the word of God, is an abomination because it goes against the very blueprint of relationship as God designed it. This has become acceptable in America and even in your bride because man has worshipped the creature rather than the creator, as it says in Romans 1, 24 to 28. I will read these verses from Romans. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty. For their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Number four. Freud said, All love relationships contain ambivalent feelings. Among Freud's various discoveries was the ambivalence involved in all close and intimate relationships. Freud said, while we may consciously feel genuine and realistic love toward a spouse, partner, parent, child, things are never exactly what they seem to be. In the world of the unconscious, beneath even the most loving and caring involvement are feelings, fantasies, and ideas that are negative, hateful, and destructive. Father, I submit this point gave authority to this spirit to introduce the influence of mistrust into relationships of all types, but specifically into healthy relationships. This, over time, has produced a common mentality in America that all relationships first are looked at through the lens of selfishness. What do I need? Instead of a healthy relationship with the focus on the other person's needs. 
Number five, we learn to love from our early relationships with parents and caregivers. Our early relationships with parents and caregivers help us to form a, quote, love map, end quote, that persists throughout our lives. This is sometimes referred to as transference. Freud pointed out that when we find a love object, we are actually refinding it. Hence the often recognized phenomenon of individuals who select partners that remind them of their mother or father. Father, this concept gave further rise to the idea that we are not responsible for our own choices. It is simply who we are. Freud projected that who we become as an adult is molded by our sexual understandings of our early lives. Satan, as ordered through this spirit, has influenced the lie that we were, quote, born that way, end quote. Or molded to be who we are. Number six. Fantasy is an important factor in sexual sexual excitement. In our sexual fantasies, we often conjure up all kinds of strange and perverse scenarios which add to sexual excitement and hopefully lead to pleasure. This is quite normal and it doesn't mean that we actually want to engage in such scenarios. Or maybe we do. Father, I submit this concept literally gives permission to engage in any lust that we desire and say that it is not our fault. This is where Satan, through this spirit, creates the same debased nature that was found in Sodom and Gomorrah. Satan's intent, as stated in your word, Father, is to steal, kill, and destroy You destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of sexual sin. And Satan's hope is that you will destroy America for the same reason. Father, you say in Jude, chapter 1, verse 7, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. I ask, Father, that Satan not be allowed to lead America down this path of destruction any further. You offered Abraham salvation to the city if even ten righteous would be found. I ask that you look at the remnant of your bride here in America. And that because of that remnant, you spare this country from your destruction. And instead bring destruction on those who have brought it down this path. Father, I further submit Freud's view of who you are. And this was taken as a quote. Freud's psychoanalytic perspective viewed religion as the unconscious mind's need for wishful fulfillment. Because people need to feel secure and absolve themselves of their own guilt, Freud believed that they choose to believe in God, who represents a powerful father figure. Father, I have nothing to add to that. That statement speaks for itself. In conclusion, we submit these Entry points is where the American populace stood in agreement with this spirit of sexual immorality and gave it authority. 
These that we have submitted are a few examples, but by no means constitute the complete layout of how authority was established. I submit this evidence in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Then the father responded, This evidence is outstanding. Does the defense have a rebuttal? The spirit then nodded, No. Father then said, Are you sure you have no exhaustive argument to bring before this court? (laughs) And then there was silence. Then I spoke. Father, again, I submit that this spirit's silence is an indication of his agreement with these charges. Assuming that he remains silent and does agree through his silence, I request to move on to the third point in Jesus' name. The Father then said, present your evidence. Father, the third point that we would like to present is your will regarding sexual purity. You state your will, Father, so clearly in your word. So I simply state your word as evidence of what you desire. I will read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no no one transgress and wrong his brother brother in this manner, because the Lord is avenger in all things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And then said, this spirit has no right to overall influence of your bride. You said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greeting, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father, because of what you said here in your word, you have greater plans for your bride. And it is not your will for her to be tarnished by this Spirit. I further submit that the sex act should be the greatest and deepest expression of love there is between a married man and a woman. Adam was not given a mate to satisfy a sexual desire or a condition of his anatomy that needed to be relieved. Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our image. And then in Genesis 2.6 it says, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God, in verse 15, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. 
Verse 18 says, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helpmeet for him or a companion who will help him. Father, these verses prove that God created man and woman to have the fellowship in the closest way possible to mirror what he created man to have with you. It is also why the scripture refers to our relationship with God as the bride and bridegroom. God wanted Adam to have a human level of fellowship to mirror the fellowship that he would have with God. The moment that Satan brought the lie and the curse to mankind through Eve, the curse itself brought shame to the human body that had not been there before. It changed the paradigm of holiness and nakedness in the body, being beautiful to immediate being beautiful to immediately the covering of the body and pain in the birth of children. I further submit Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 14, as your will, Father. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as, as a sacrifice for us a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You could be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to expose or excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. Father, I submit that this is your will regarding your creation's sexual purity. I submit this in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Then there was a little bit of a delay and Shannon said, I'm seeing a a hand and a wand. I think there's witchcraft happening against this. I responded, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that any outside infiltration of witchcraft be dealt with in the harshest manner. For they have been warned, and they know the penalty of what they are doing. I ask your will to be done, Father, and that you decree your will in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Shannon said, his voice is not clear to me. I said, Father, I ask for a recess in Jesus' name. The 
father said, granted. During the recess, Shannon said for a few minutes, there's been, she's been seeing this hand and a wand, an image that keeps taking her out of focus of the courtroom. And we all wondered that perhaps this is what happened during the last recess of the enemy, because he certainly didn't come back with an argument. I then anointed, the Lord, Lord had told me personally, anoint Shannon's eyes and ears, and then I commanded witchcraft to be bound and cast. Then without further delay, I just sat down and I said, Father, I request that we resume in Jesus' name. The father then responded, this court receives you. Let the record show the prosecution has made use of one recess. We will continue. Then I spoke. Father, I submit that there have been external forces at work coming against the gifts that you have given Shannon in seeing and hearing. This goes against the mandate that you have shared before in this courtroom of outside infiltration. I request a judgment to be brought against the defense for this because it was on behalf of the defense. I ask for judgment and penalty to be placed against the defense in Jesus' name. I ask for restitution to be paid sevenfold because of the thief, because the thief was caught. I submit these things in Jesus' name and by the power of his blood. Then the father spoke to the defense. I deny you the right to make any further statements on your own behalf. You will be held accountable for this interference. You are to make no further statements. You are to mount no further defense. On this evidence alone, I will render a verdict. Everything you have hidden, I will bring to light. I will hurry your demise. The influence that you have in Thailand will come to an end. This court will come to order. As you can imagine, that produced an uproar. And I'll go back to that in a minute. I give you my judgment. You are found guilty before this court. You will be bound and stripped of your influence. I release my angels. Bind him now. Concerning this nation, the United States of America, you are stripped of all influence. Today, I cast you to the abyss. This court has rendered judgment. Then the gavel came down, and we were gone. We were out. I want to make a point. See, America's influence is a global influence, but the fact, first of all, if you don't know, Thailand is probably the the greatest hub in the world for sex trafficking, for sex slavery. And, and I mean little babies and all ages. But the fact that it was tied in with America, that tells you something. 
that tells you that it was American authority and American influence that started it and perpetrated it over there. Otherwise, they would have not lost that influence in Thailand because we were not before the courts for Thailand. I think it's going to come out and be shown the ties that American and American leadership has with Thailand and why that was broken. That's an extraordinary thought. I want to read, right after that, we went into the ready room. I want to read just one paragraph in the ready room. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read one paragraph that, that is significant. After I asked, you know, to go into the ready room and we worshiped. <clears throat> I asked the Lord, what can we expect from this verdict of this court decision? You know, being stuck in the reality that we're in right now, what can we really expect from this? And this is the statement that the Father made, and and I want you to absorb this. I've begun the process of unveiling my eyes of my sons and daughters. Where they have been deceived about sexuality, they will no longer be deceived. Where they have agreed, they will no longer agree. Even those who have raised the flag of homosexuality in the pulpits, who wear the banner of this sin, no longer will they be pleased with themselves. Thinking themselves to interpreted, to have interpreted my word to allow these things. Now my spirit will be released to crush that intelligence. Now my spirit will be released to bring conviction to their calloused hearts. For many it will mean devastation. For many it will mean being humiliated. Because of the millions that they have led astray. Because of the thousands they have led away from me. But I will turn it for my good. I will return them to my hand and to my heart. And the church will be the first voice to say no, no more. And what the Lord is, is doing in this. I, I know, especially people online, I know you can look at this and say, oh, you know, that, that happened Thursday and everything still looks the same. That's why I read you that last paragraph. Because what did he say he's doing? I'm releasing my spirit to go after it. See, there had to be agreement And there had to be a verdict before he could release his spirit on a national scale to go and do that. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. That's just how he set it up. In many ways, it would have been so much easier for him to just decide how we needed to live our lives and not allow us to do things. But we've talked about it before. That doesn't produce love. It produces slaves. Right? Thomas Jefferson, he married Sally Hemings, I believe, had six kids. Okay? There perhaps came a point 
where she had feelings for him, 30 years her senior. But I'll guarantee you that's not how it started. Because he made the choice for her. There was not love there. There couldn't have been. See, the Lord wants real love from us, his bride. The only way that he could receive real love from his people is to give them absolute choice. So everything that this spirit and all the others before this have intertwined into the authority of this country is to suppress that choice. And none so far any bigger than this one. I I don't know, it seems like each one has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Doesn't it seem that way? I just can't imagine there being a bigger one than this. And yet I know we have three more. Just trust in what God's doing. What you do have authority over is your own life. Because see, we are influenced by the enemy, but it's our choice to live in sin. It's our choice. God does give us avenues of escape. Avenues of resistance when we have already escaped. Because the the enemy doesn't stop coming after us. He, he, He just won't. The very web that he weaved of influence to keep us suppressed is not only going to be dismantled, but will be weaved in the opposite way. The church will then be placed in positions where where the Holy Spirit literally weaves the authority in the opposite way. See, the bride is going to become readied. It will be through a fight. It will be through a tremendous fight. But what was prophesied in Habakkuk, is going to happen with the bride, is happening with the bride. That the captors will become captive. You're starting to see it. You will continue to see it. Because the Holy Spirit's going to weave that authority as his bride agrees with the Father. Alexis, come on out. The Lord is reminding me how much I have felt like the characters of the Bible that have been completely alone in their calling and were asked to do something never done before. Abraham, Moses, um, everything that, that Joseph went through, Noah, um, so many, you know, the Apostle Paul. And when God is revealing new things to you, you have a choice to believe, even if it's something new that he's going to show. The disciples had to believe that Jesus, a man around them in the human realm, was the actual Messiah. God is always asking us to believe for things that we may not be familiar with or we may not be um, understanding his word to, to, to have explained. 
And this doesn't mean we're going down a direction of heresy. It, it means God's about to reveal and do something, show us a deeper level in his words. So that's an exciting place. And I know Ruth was, was reminding um, the ladies in the ladies' class this morning that, you know, that Berean heart is so important. We need to approach scripture open-minded, not open-minded to distort it. And I, I hear a lot sometimes from my upbringing in, in my mind this, this thing of, well, you've got to be careful, you've got to be careful. But the Lord has shown me, trust me to not make you deceived. If you try to watch yourself to not be deceived, if I were watching in, t- in, the, in the journey of technology, if I were trying to control not being deceived, there's no way I would have an iPhone right now. You know, back from when, you know, having these older phones, it's like, yeah, when things are introduced, you get nervous that you've never seen it before, but God will reveal truth. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He reveals truth. He guides us into all truth. And if we try to cramp, uh, clamp down with control, we'll be in trouble. But, boy, God's doing amazing things. Um, every time he shows us something new, it is, um, it's exciting. And, yes, there's a stretching. There's a stretching of our faith. But he's coming to bring freedom, and um, there's no way that what he's doing can be possibly explained or contained in one message. So um, anyone, uh, I know here it's not the issue, but anyone online that, you know, just the struggle with the courts in general, you've got to go back and you've got to learn um, from previous messages or go into the Word of God. I, I think the fundamental thing... Um, that I always encourage people where the court's concept is new is why would the Lord be considered, be constantly referred to as a judge and a righteous judge and Jesus be referred to as our advocate and our lawyer if there was no court for that judgment and that lawyer to be needed? Of course there are courts. So um, so there's a lot in scripture and it's really, really exciting. So we are praying and I'm going to close this, the message in just prayer. Uh, we're We're believing that God is going to reveal this next uh, authority that we can go and intercede on behalf of to break off of this nation. And, you know, right before I came up, the Lord just said in my spirit, blessed are those who believe, who have not seen. Amen. You know, we have the opportunity to have blessing, to believe for the crazy, to believe for the impossible, to believe for the unknown. If everything, and we were saying this downstairs too, if, we, if everything being preached on is something we're somewhat familiar with, it's pretty arrogant to not think that God would be outside of what we think we know. Mm-hmm. We've got to be childlike. We've got to be childlike. And the progression of a child sometimes gets to that age where they're like, oh yeah, I know, oh yeah, I, I know, I know. That's a dangerous place to be with the Lord. Don't ever. God ought to be blowing our minds every day because he is a mind-blowing God. And as soon as we limit him from blowing our minds, then we kind of become, um, we reverse things. And God becomes a God in our image rather than a God that makes us in his image and wants to open us up further. So we need him and he will reveal truth. He will guide us into all truth. But remember Jeremiah, and we were, we, I love the threes, 33-3. When we call unto him, he will answer us and do what? Show us great, mighty things 
which we know not. He won't just remind us of the great and mighty things we know. He will show us things we don't know. And that's what he's doing now in these courts. We praise his name. Father, thank you, God. Thank you so much for the opportunity to tread new ground. It is not easy. It is laughable in some mindsets that hear these things, God. But I thank you that you are. You are removing the veil. You are giving the wisdom and the revelation, God, that that you have promised that you will believe that you will release to those who believe. And so God, we just believe. We believe you. We trust you to not deceive us. We say so often that if a natural father will give to his child that when he's begging bread will will it, will he not give him to give him a stone, father, you will give us so much more than that when we ask for the Holy Spirit. If a natural father will meet the need of his child, how much more will you give us the Holy yes. Spirit? God, I thank you for that. I thank you that we can trust you to not lead us astray. Yes. We can't rely on anything. We can't lean on any of our own understanding. But God, when we give you that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 um, declaration of our faith, trusting in you with all of our hearts, you and acknowledging you, leaning not on our own understanding, but, but acknowledging you in everything that we do through faith, through trust, you will direct our path. Yes. And you are doing that. And I thank you, God. Even when it's hard, even when we can't grasp these high things, these high things, your ways and your thoughts are higher. But God, we trust you. We believe you because we know you. And so I thank you so much, God. I pray that you would um, strengthen the body and that you would begin to reveal, Lord, all that you're doing. And God, I thank you that you know best. Sometimes when we beg you for evidence, evidence, evidence in this human realm, oh God, just like Jesus said to those around him, that if, if he revealed and gave them a sign, it actually wouldn't convince them. Because they started out with unbelief. And the sign would just be another point of argument for them. But God, he, but God, I thank you that you, you entrust those who open their hearts to you by faith with more and more. So God, we want to just give you our yes every day. We want to be stewards with our faith. Stewarding what you give us with our faith. So that we will have more release to us, God. But not just to tickle our intellect, but to experience you more. To know more of who you are. You are so great, so mighty, so holy. I thank you, God, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would reveal this next authority to be dealt with, God. You, only you started us on this path. So, God, if you are choosing to use this process... To intercede on behalf of this nation, God, then we, we stand in full agreement with, with your plan. And I know you hear the cries of people all across this nation who want freedom for the captives in their own lives. So we ask for this revelation. And we thank you and we praise you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.